Hi, I'm Sean L. McCarthy, founding editor of The Comics Comic, found wherever you can type The Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First. This is the show that asks comedians about the historic last and first in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people with dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Today's guest is Lisa Lampanelli, well-known to audiences around the world for her dirty, dirty mouth, hurling insults while also promoting a very progressive agenda. You've seen her on several televised roasts for the Friars Club, Comedy Central, and Howard Stern. In 2009, she published her memoir, Chocolate Please, My Adventures in Food, Fat, and Freaks. And in 2012, she competed on the fifth season of The Celebrity Apprentice with Donald Trump. She has four previous hour-long comedy specials, which debuted on Comedy Central and HBO. Her fifth stand-up special, Back to the Drawing Board, premieres June 26, 2015 on Epix. Please welcome Lisa Lampanelli. What was the last roast that happened that you weren't a part of that you wish you had been? No, because I didn't. I turned down the Charlie Shane roast, and I turned down the Joan Rivers roast. Probably the Joan Rivers one. I probably, since she was such a legend and I was such a fan, I probably should have done that. But it was a summer that I was working a lot on myself and other things, so I didn't do it. Okay. Um, and that's probably I should have taken that opportunity because you know she's a real hero to all comics. So that was probably short sighted, but. Clearly, uh, the chance to meet her would have been worth it all. What do you remember about your first roast you ever did? Um, The Chevy Chase was just a little douchebag. You know, he's the worst when it comes to being roasted because he can't take a joke. And he sort of just scowled through the whole thing. He was really unhappy, and he said it was the worst night of his life. And I just remember going, well, even though this guy is a total dick, I'm just going to have to try to kill it because it's my first TV show ever was the first thing I'd ever done. So um, I just remember going, don't even look at him. Don't even let his bad energy come in. Just like do your thing. And thankfully it worked out. How, how did you feel after, after doing that first TV rest? I knew that that one was really good for me because so many guys were bombing and I, for some grace of God, did really well. So um, I think I had a lot of support from the Friars Club who went there. Like all the members were there. It was this real huge room full of Friars. And um, I remember going, this is the first of many of these things. I can just sense it. And it kind of felt like, okay, I got a pass on this one. I, I was really lucky. Now, now the, Fri- the Friars Club, a lot of people who, especially if you're not in New York, the Friars Club is this mysterious group of elder statesmen and stateswomen of comedy. How did you get involved with the Friars? Well, I was invited there for some reason. I forget somebody was putting on a little show or something, so I went there and like I instantly felt like home. I go, well, even though I'm surrounded by 80-year-old guys, you know, with one hip working, I kind of feel like this is where all the, the comics belong, where you can say whatever you want, use that table manners, and still be surrounded by legends and kind of fit in. So I just started going there a lot, and somebody proposed me for membership, and they actually let me in. So I was like, okay. I kind of felt like it was the first step to making it big. And if it wasn't for them, I would have never gotten on that Chevy Chase road, so I guess it kind of was. And, and is the Friars Club still a place where you go and hang out, or just for special occasions? Oh, no, no, no. I go there a lot. I mean... I've been at tons of uh, events there. 
I always do any charity dinner that gets auctioned off. You know, I do a lot of those dinners where all the people pledge a certain amount of money to a charity. Um, I give them dinner at the fires with me. And, I mean, that's always, like, my first choice as far as where to go to dinner and everything in the city. Hmm. So it's more of a homey type of feeling place for me than a night out. It feels so like, okay, I can go there and relax. And, you know, there's always some more things than me, so I'm, I'm always feeling like uh, at home I gravitated towards this type of humor. And I ended up being an info comic and a roaster and all that. So I guess deep down years ago, I kind of felt like, hmm, that looks like something I'd like to get involved in. And then it kind of miraculously happened. What did you want to be before that? I was a journalist. I went to college for journalism to Syracuse University, and I got my BS in newspaper journalism, worked in journalism for about 10 years, then got sick of running 12 grand a year and decided, let me do this. Now, now I know as a journalist myself what the allure is, but what was the allure for you for in journalism? What was what? What was the, what was the draw for you to journalism when you were, when I you were a teenager? I, I, I kind of wanted to interview entertainers and bands and stuff, but after I had interviewed every band and every hero of mine, I was like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> I don't really know what else to do. So um, that comic thing had always been gnawing at me a little. Mm -hmm. So I decided, let me give this thing a shot when I was 30, and I figured if I did it once and I didn't like it or I didn't get any response, then I just wouldn't do it anymore. But thankfully, uh, it went well enough for me to do it again and another time and another time. So uh, I just kept at it. What What was the What was the, the last kind of straw that, that made you say, you know what, I think I'm going to make a full-time go of comedy and, and screw the day job? Um, it's never, but to me, it's not a last straw. It's like, um, okay, there's enough signs that this is the right thing. There's enough, uh, enough signs that this is going to work out for me. So, um, I was able to get laid off from a job with some severance. I was able to work that into some unemployment insurance. I was able to work that into beginning comedy. So it all sort of worked at the same time where I would neither go broke nor would I have to kind of do comedy without a little net of money coming in. Were you already yeah, that? Were you already getting paid for comedy at that time, or were you still just doing open mics and unpaid oh, no, spots? just open mics and stuff. So I had that little net of money that was coming in that tiny amount every week from unemployment, and finally said, you know what, um, started getting little empty spots here and there, and there we go. Who who gave you your first paid spot? Oh, my God, it was a horror. It was the worst gig of my life, <laughs> probably to this day. It was $300, which is a huge amount for your first time. Yeah, definitely. By the sports, something called, something like the Sports Writers Conference of Connecticut. Okay. And they were honoring this hockey legend, Forty Howe. Oh, yeah. And I had no business doing it other than my brother was in the sports department at the Hartford Current, which is a big newspaper in Connecticut. And he said, well, my sister does comedy. And I had only been on stage three times. Now, knowing that, I should have turned it down because, you know, you really have to be great at a big event like that. 500 people in a room on a Sunday afternoon. You have to be a real pro. And I went up and I just ate it. <laughs> I tanked so bad that 25 years later, I still not listened to that tape. <laughs> I taped it. I got off stage. I was so embarrassed and so ashamed. And um, it's just to this day, it teaches me don't do anything that is so out of your league and beyond. Just kind of know your place and do what you do and stretch a little bit 
but don't go so outside your comfort zone that you just get a terrible reputation. Yeah. Well, at least the Hartford Whalers have left, so you don't have to have that lingering memory. Yeah, right? <laughs> uh, so I, I, get, I take it at that point you weren't yet even trying to be an insult comic? You were just more of a, a straight-ahead observational person? Yeah, yeah, for the most part. When when did it click for you that 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 insults and, and kind of more aggressive comedy was, was was your distinctive point of view? Well, about nine months in, I sort of started getting up the courage to talk to the audience at all because I was like, oh, should I even address them? You know, what should I say? But I liked conversations with them. I really liked talking to everybody. So uh, eventually what happened was I liked talking to them, but I really didn't like hearing them answer. So I had this whole get them before they get me mentality all my life. So I'm like, well, why don't I just say things and see what happens? So luckily, it sort of took off. Nobody really got mad. I was getting a lot of laughs and good response, and even the people I was making fun of were into it. So I'm like, okay, this is sort of what's, what's, uh, what I'm going to try doing, and just sort of evolved into 90% insults, 10% um joke material and a lot of insults interwoven with comedy so it kind of all uh over the years melded together you you have a you have a line in this new special on epics back to the drawing board where you say the only person who gets to use a slur in a lisa lampanelli show is lisa lampanelli how how are you able to kind of ride that fine line where where nothing is out of bounds for you but it's out of bounds for anyone in the audience um, I don't know. I, I just think that, you know, I'm a pro. They're not. <laughs> I don't go to a lawyer's job and think I'm allowed to do what he does. He earned it. He's the guy who earned his, you know, bar certificate. He passed the bar exam. He went to law school. I'm not doing no lawyering. <laughs> so I just feel like there, you're at my show. <laughs> I've made my bones. For 25 years, I get to do the jokes. You sit there and you laugh and you shut the hell up. So it's basically kind of meaning that I'm the comic. You're the one who pays, so you just sit there. And I suppose it's a lot easier, too, once you've achieved notoriety and fame, that the audience is on board with what you're doing, too. Well, I also think, I mean, comedy is the only art form where people are allowed to yell things out, which I think is totally crazy like you can't go to a broadway show and yell anything at the performers so i kind of resent that people think that that's fun and funny to do but hey i obviously don't want to handle it if you look at youtube you could see that yeah. um but i also kind of don't like people trying stuff that i can do and thinking they can do it because they can't uh, speaking of, of people shouting out you, you also talk about uh, being protested Right, <laughs> and I, I I find it fascinating how how uh, you've developed an approach to to really uh, countering any protest with your own kind of performance art piece, uh, like with the last protest that was Westboro Baptist Church. Yeah, when I uh, I donated a thousand dollars for every protester who showed up uh, to the gay men's health crisis because it was like, well, you're going to hate on me, then we'll turn that one into some help for people you hate. And the thing was, I thought only about 20 people were going to show up, so I'd be out 20 grand, which ain't much. Then 50 of them show up, so I'm like, screw it. You know what? I'm supposed to give 50 grand. That's right. But yeah, you just can't take it sitting down from hate groups. It's ridiculous. 
Uh, did you have you ever heard anything since then from from Westboro or anybody? Oh yeah, yeah. They protest me every time I come out. Every time that was the first protest. The other two we just ignored them. Uh, they're not trying to secretly help help fund the gay men's health clinic. And... Exactly. I think they learned that that's not a good idea. <laughs> um, you, uh, your new special also is is much more personal. It talks about you know your health changes and your and your life changes. Uh, when was the last time you ate on the toilet or in the shower? Uh, you know what? I do not do either of those. Those were both in college. So uh, luckily, it only took me 40 years or 35 years to get out of those habits. <laughs> but I don't sneak food anymore. Like that's back in the day when, oh, my God, there was such shame associated with eating, you know? Right. So now, luckily, I eat in full sight. And uh, it's tiny little amounts, but I still do my eating. So is is portion control the, the key? Oh, my God. Well, my thing is the surgery I got, you have no choice but to eat tiny amounts of food it's really hilariously small amounts that fill you up when you have this surgery so yeah that's it's it's forced portion control trust me i wish some days that it wasn't like that but can i be back to 250 pounds so hopefully um, i'll be able to just stick with this and stay healthy well you've kept it off for three years so that's that's a good sign yeah, I think oh, by the you know again without the operation, I probably would have gained it right back. That's just how I am. You know, food's a really emotional issue for a lot of people, including myself. So um, I just have to watch that all the time. I have mm-hmm. to watch emotional eating, only eating when I'm physically hungry instead of you know out of some kind of crazy emotion. But uh, yeah, I'm really grateful that that surgery existed. How how long did it did it take you before deciding to undergo the surgery? Oh, I heard about this surgery, and I was signed up the next week. I met with the doctor, and uh, before I left, I had my surgery date. He was so great and warm and great guy. And I was like, okay, he gets it. It's a new surgery that's supposed to be much better for you than others. So me and my husband at the time just were like, sign me up. So it wasn't something you wrestled with and thought, well, maybe if I just try this other diet or maybe if I just go to the gym more. Well, I mean, after you try it for 32 years, when are you going to say enough? So it was just, hearing the surgery was just, oh, that's it. Well, I mean, 32 years of every diet, every exercise plan, um, trying to, you know, handle it on my own were fruitless. And at some point or another, you've got to give it up and say, I'm going to try this thing because I want to live till I'm 95 instead of 60. So, you know what, this is the last tool in, that I can try, and I'm going to really do it this time. Have you been to a uh, high school or college reunion since then? No, I don't go to those, only because I'm on TV so much that those bitches already see that they can eat me. <laughs> you, you, you don't have any, any kind of carnal desire to, to shove it right in their face and go... I already do it just every time I'm on TV. <laughs> no, but actually, nobody was that. No, I was always thin all through high school. I gained okay. weight in college. So they all, I, and I also kind of loved high school. I was like the one person that I've ever met who enjoyed their high school experience. So, uh, yeah, I, I may actually go back now that you mention it because it was fun. And that would be kind of fun. Maybe I'll pick up with an old high school boyfriend. You never know. Are you Facebook friends with any of those people? Um, not really. I'm kind of acquaintances with a couple, but I'm more one of those people who 
most of my friends have come from the last 20 years or so through comedy or through work I've done on myself or retreats and stuff. Um, it seems like I don't really have much in common with uh, people from the past, not that I have anything against them, but uh, I think I've grown a lot since doing comedy, and that's sort of a sensibility I like. Yeah, no, uh, quite a few comedians I talked to when I asked them about going back to reunions, a lot of them have no interest in it. Uh, going back to what? Going back to a high school or college reunion. They just... Yeah, I mean, I, it never dawns on me. Every time I get the invitation, I just throw it out. I don't know why um, I throw it out. I just don't care, really. So, yeah, it doesn't... I mean, I don't hate the idea, but I don't love the idea. And yeah. I'm in the uh, a stage of my life where I have to love the idea of going somewhere to do it. Like, I just have to love the idea. There has to be something that won't keep me away. So, like, for tonight, for instance, two friends of mine are reading, doing a play reading of mm -hmm. their work. And these are works that may never get off the ground, but I just like these roles so much that I can't stay away. Like, I can't wait to get there. So, you just kind of, I know what I love, and I, I, I don't even leave the house if it's not something that really lights me up. Uh, now, I know of, uh, a few years ago you were you were working on, on your own one-woman show that was more geared for Broadway than for, for stand-up. What what was what made you first start thinking about about making that transition? Well, I wanted to retire because I was sick of comedy. In about 2011, I was like, oh, I'm so sick of everything, and um, ticket sales were getting harder. I was like, this is just BS. But then I saw Terry Fisher's one person show on Broadway, and I thought it was great. So I started working on that. But then after about two years, I lost interest in that. And I decided to make it into a play. And uh, that's the play I'm working on now, writing with, um, you know, the idea of it going sort of off-Broadway next year in 2016 as one of those vagina monologue styles, you know, where four women get up and talk about different weight and food and body image issues. Mm -hmm. So it's going to still be about weight and food and, you know, people's struggles with it, but will be more of a monologue format with four women. Okay. So that's what I'm working on now. And again, that's the thing that kind of lights me up now and makes me happy getting up in the morning. But, um, yeah, we'll see. If, if it's something that still sparks me in a few years, I'll, I'll uh, keep doing it. With the, with the new special, does that also tamper any, any thoughts of retiring from stand-up? What's that? With the new special coming out on Epics, does that also tamper those those thoughts of retiring from stand-up, or is it just transitioning um, to the one-on-one -on -one oh, yeah, show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing is, those that was years ago that I was like, oh, I'm right. retiring, but then, of course, two days later, <laughs> I say I'm not retiring. You know, like, I always do that. I always say, this sucks, I'm retiring, and my husband was like, that's fine, you can do that, whatever you want, and then I, of course, always get back in. So I have a feeling I may someday face stand up out but uh, I don't know you never know it keeps pulling me back in it's like being in the mob you can't really get away from it <laughs> you can try but yeah uh, what's the what's the last uh, what's the last great piece of advice you ever got and was it from Donald Trump no uh, shockingly no <laughs> it was I love the advice that you hear in 12 step program mm -hmm. called Compare and despair. Mm. Because the minute you compare yourself to somebody, it only leads to despair. So if you compare yourself and you feel better than someone, 
then you get full of yourself. If you can't compare yourself and you feel worse than someone, then you feel put down. So my whole thing is, when somebody told me that, it clicked where it was like, wow, you can really just compare yourself to you, and that's all that really counts in this world. So I kind of got really inspired by that. Yeah, a lot of comedians get caught up in in gauging, comparing where their career is with someone else who started at the same time as them, and and it really turns yeah, and into bitterness. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. I mean, I remember years ago when uh, I was playing a place that maybe sat 900 people, so it was pretty small for me, and Louis C.K. was having trouble. I remember selling, like, three. they told me he had only sold 300 tickets, and this is years ago. And I'm like, wow, that guy's been around forever. Now Louis C.K. sold Madison Square Garden like a million times, and I'm playing places that are, you know, 1,500 to 4,000. <laughs> and I'm like, see, you can never compare, because if he had compared himself to me back then, he would have been upset. If I had compared myself to him now, I'd be upset. Instead, you just go, that's his path, that's my path, and we're both extremely lucky to just be doing this for a living. Yeah, you're where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there, right? Absolutely. <laughs> like, not right now, there's some reason, even if you're caught in traffic, you're supposed to be caught in traffic to either learn from it or to spare you from an accident up ahead. It's like... You can't ever despair where you are because that's where you're supposed to be. And there's a lesson in everything that's hard. Yeah. Uh, what's So when, when a new comic invariably comes up to you uh, backstage or before a show or after a show and says, Lisa, Lisa, I love you. I, I really want to do what you do or I want to be a comedian so bad. What's, what's the first piece of advice you like to give out? Well, first of all, I don't allow anybody backstage. <laughs> I, other, I don't. That's I don't a good move. That's a good move. I approve of that. Well, no, I don't. I'm, I'm, I'm playing a theater. Who's coming backstage to talk to me? I have an opening act that I already know. I'm not talking to any of these douchebags. <laughs> I mean, learn it. I, I struggle. You learn it, too. So so just uh, endure the struggle? No, I really just say to any comic who, like, emails me or whatever, I just say, just get used to sleeping in your car. If you want it bad enough, you won't mind a night sleeping in your car. And if... Uh, if uh, if you did decide to to hang it up and not do comedy anymore, what what would be the first thing you would you would put your passion into? Well, I really want to do this play. I really want to do like some humorous motivational speaking, like about service to others and about using humor to get through hard times. Um, I want to probably I'd love to do a TED talk on humor as service to other people. Um, I'd like to spend a little time relaxing and just kind of working on more spiritual pursuits like meditation and yoga and stuff like that, which I started to dabble in in the last year. And um, I'd like to, like, sit around a lot. I love <laughs> sitting. Sitting sitting is awesome. People don't even realize how much fun it is. So, yeah, I'll sit a lot. Have you thought about becoming a guru? What's that? Have you thought about becoming a guru? Gurus sit a lot. I have, I have no choice. I already am. <laughs> <laughs> well, I look forward to hearing that TED Talk and seeing your play and seeing your continued stand-up. Yeah, I mean, honestly, God, that is my dream now, to do a TED Talk. I'm sure they're horrified at the thought, but I have the, <laughs> I have the, a weird feeling that in 10 years, once I'm like Deep, Deepak Chopra's sister, they'll let me do it. <laughs> 
it's 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 all about the attitude. So if you just bring the attitude, they will they will follow. There you go, Lisa. Right, man, thank you. Thanks very much for everything. Yeah, Lisa. Thanks for doing this. I pre- really appreciate it. Okay, buddy. God bless. God bless. Bye. Bye. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Things first.